charge you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift to the industry. I loved your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. Hey there, Scott. How's it going? Doing well. I'm excited for this one. So this one is a fellow operator, right? And I really enjoy, so I get to spend time watching her and the rest of the crew on Good Morning Hospitality every Monday. And I've just, I've always been intrigued with Brandy and her approach, and she just feels like a fellow operator. So it's good to have another operator sitting next to me to go against you two this week. So I'm excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it'll be good. Adam, how are you doing? What's going on? Any fun updates to share on your side of things? Yes, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, always nice to be here. A couple quick things. So one, Conrad, I watched the Celtics last night, and it seems every time they get on TV, they tend to lose. So I'm not sure if we're jinxing them or what the situation is, but we're going to have to figure that out. The excuse is that they empty the clip in Minnesota. That's my excuse, by the way. And then they just they went over time back to back. Yeah. But that was bad. That was bad. That was, was really bad. So on a positive note, and, and not much to report on the sports side, but uh, I, I'll make one mention and then uh, it will lead us into the conversation with Brandy here. Uh, the one progress that I've made this week is on the soccer side of things. And I ended up connecting with the former captain of the UMass soccer team. He was the captain of the team for a couple of years, just recently graduated. And he's got a little bit of a side hustle trying to help younger players get into college. Now, I don't know exactly know what that means. I'm, I'm still deciphering this. But one, I always love making contact with with people out of the, out of Massachusetts and especially UMass, where where I graduated from. But two, it's opening some opportunities for me to think with the boys about what it takes to get to that next level. So this guy is actually going to come down. We've got a rental here on the Outer Banks. We're going to trade a weekend rental where he's going to come down. He's going to run the team through a D1 practice, do a little evaluation with them, start talking to the team about what it would take in order to get to that next level, D1, D3, whatever it might be. Just how can we get to the high school level? How can we get to the college level? So I, I mentioned that. One, because I'm excited about that progress that we're that we've got going on the soccer side of things. And we've still got years ahead of us, but it's just nice to start opening these doors. But two, I think it, it leads me into that point that Scott was just making around operators and, and thinking outside of what we're typically doing. And I think that this is a, a key moment in the industry where we've got to start picking other people's brains. And that's why this year in particular on the art of hospitality, I'm really excited because we are talking more with operators this year. We last year we were building things up, and this year we're really getting operators on early so that we can start talking about A, what they see coming, but B, what are they doing and how are they preparing and what do they see as their successful paths? And the, the past few that we've had have been fantastic. This one's going to be fantastic with Brandy as well. But I think it's an important moment, not only because we're finding these new opportunities and talking with people about what they are doing successfully, but I, I'm starting to sense that the discussions in the industry are changing. So rather than hey, everything's moving so fast, everything seems like it's going so easy, we're starting to recognize, A, there's headwinds, but B, with those headwinds come a really big opportunities in order to start to think through things differently. Unreasonable hospitality is one, and that's where we're steering. But I think there's a lot of those that are going to come out of these discussions. So excited to talk with Brandy. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot of pieces to pick apart there on the sports side. And it's always good to learn from someone who's a little bit ahead of you. I know that's one thing that I've experienced in like my own career and business and things like that too, is that if you ask someone who's did it a long time ago, it's like their path isn't always the most replicatable. But when you ask someone who's like a little bit ahead of you, it's like they just recently did it. So I feel like you can learn more from that sometimes than like someone that did it a long time ago. So the the player just out of college coaching it again to college might actually be, be, be better than the person who's like a pro and been a pro for 10 years because it's so different now than- One so thing I can definitely yeah. say on, on that note is the boys are going to relate to them a lot better than they relate to me. I'm the, right. the old guy who, yeah, maybe I played, but it was 25 years ago. This kid just did it. So it's definitely a, something that they can relate to. And I think that to your point, Conrad, in business, I think it's the same idea. If you get people who are doing it or if they're just a couple of steps ahead of you, you realize, hey, I could do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Brandy, welcome. Enjoy having you here. We've got another veteran podcaster because we were getting mics and things hooked up before we hit record. So we feel like we can get going here on things. But Brandy, if you don't mind for the listener that hasn't heard of you or doesn't know about Romy, those sorts of things, could you do the elevator pitch of like how you got into the space, Romy, what you're focused on today? And then also a song that best describes you as well, if you could. Sure. Uh, so my name is Brandy Canali. I'm the COO of Romy. We're an urban operator, uh, primarily located in South Florida. So that's Fort Lauderdale down to Miami Beach in Miami, and then also in New Orleans. Um, and we've been around for just under nine years. Um, and it started off single family homes in Miami, and we've graduated to uh, larger multifamily buildings. We do love a good one-off penthouse, love some flashy penthouses, but bowl building multifamily has been our bread and butter for the last couple of years. And I 
I got into the space by accident, which I feel like is a common occurrence. <laughs> I was going to help my cousin's then boyfriend like with his fledgling business while I applied for other jobs. And then I never left eight years later. It's funny how that happens. And I feel like everybody in this industry has a very similar, similar path. And yeah, it's fun. I never thought I'd be a podcaster either. <laughs> that also fell into my lap. So that's been a lot of fun things have come to me through this industry. And then I think a song that best describes me, it's been my theme song that was given to me as a child. It's Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by The Looking Glass. I feel like that's not super original, but it's been pegged to me since I was a child. So I really, I, I love that song. Yeah, yeah it's hard not to choose that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the match is just too nice there. Awesome. I, actually, so I, obviously we'll dig into the history and like where you started, where you are today, but maybe we'll go now just for a moment. So I think as we're recording this, you just had IMN, which is the one of the, I guess, like it certainly is one of the more popular conferences from my understanding. I haven't mm -hmm. been to it before, but could you give us a breakdown of what IMN was like? It was actually in your backyard in Miami, what your panel was on and what you were talking about down there? Sure. So it's interesting because it's definitely, there's a lot of, I see a lot of familiar faces, but then there's also a huge group that's definitely more traditional real estate or like more larger residential real estate focus. So I saw a lot of familiar faces, but then a lot of new faces as well. And it's much smaller. It's very condensed. There's usually two tracks running at the same time. So I think you get to maybe mingle with people more than when you're spread out at a bigger conference. And my panel was more of a discussion. It was a women's executive like roundtable. Brandy Barton was uh, my co-host. And so we basically just had all these female executives in the industry and just talking about all sorts of, not necessarily solely focused on female specific things within the industry, but particular challenges. One funny thing that came up was working with your spouse, like a crazy number of people work with their spouses. And that dynamic is, I'm like, I think that's wild to me, but I understand how it happens. So it was, that was one thing that really stood out to me from that panel. And there's people that have been in the industry for 20 plus years, like real veterans. And then there were some people at that panel or at that uh, round table that had been in there for a year and people that came in through, oh, I was just managing my second home or like my boyfriend's second home and, or a real estate agent who was buying all these properties for clients and realized that they could, there was another business to be had there. So it's always interesting seeing how people find their way in. And I also, there's been a lot of talk, especially in the last two or three years, about the hobby hosts and people that really came into the industry during COVID. And there were definitely a couple of people there who I think are trying to continue to be successful and not get pushed out. A lot of those hosts are in some areas. And so that's why they're attending this conference to be like, okay, the highs of 2022 are really over. And I have to figure out how to make this like a proper sustainable business. Mm -hmm. What do we call it? Adam, go ahead. I, I got a quick follow-up question on that. Yeah. Brandy, did you go to IMN last year? I did, to the one in Miami. There's Sometimes I think there might be two, but there's definitely there, the, the, one yeah, in Miami last year. There might have been one in, in Texas as well. But do you get the sense, and I'm, I'm curious, and Hobby Host is the first time that we've heard that one. I like that. I'm curious about the long-term side of things too, if they're going to get burned out on, on the changes. Do you get a, Did you get a sense that there was a different dynamic last year versus this year? Like the long-term... Uh, yeah, so there's, there's long-term managers that you mentioned, and yes. IMN was always uh, a long-term show, and then they tried to bring in short-term rentals like two years ago, right? So I'm, I'm wondering if IMN has any staying power, if that long-term side really is going to stay interested in the short-term side, or if they're going to get burned out like those hobby hosts. I think if that does happen, it'll be at least another like couple years. I think this is still like a fresh new avenue for a lot of people and especially for asset owners trying to figure out ways to maximize their revenue. Um, this presents a perhaps riskier, but also unique opportunity. And I think it also, I realize we're so like caught up in our industry. There are things that I considered to be common knowledge that are just not. So people come in with an absolutely zero baseline understanding of what it takes to run this business. And you would think that long-term and short-term, there might be some like base similarities, but people come in really not understanding the business at all. So I think that there's a lot to learn before they might start, they might be getting burned out. What One thing that I've seen, I saw this the other day on Twitter, and it was someone who couldn't understand why someone would sell a vacation rental property that was successful. They just couldn't swear in their head. Why would you do that? And the comment they made, Brandy, was that supposedly it's throwing off $40,000 a year of passive income. Why would they ever mm -hmm. sell this $40,000 a year of passive income? And Scott, it's not passive income, is it? There's This is 
hard work. There's a lot of things that have to get done. Maybe that's what Brandy's alluding to here, but maybe you could speak on that a little bit of these, the hobby host, we call them the 2019ers, Brandy, but maybe you could speak to that a little bit, yeah. Scott. With, this is challenging, difficult things to do. There's money to be had, of course, but it's hard, Scott. Yeah, I'm not sure that I've had a passive day. Maybe a couple passive hours. <laughs> yeah, after lunch, maybe um, every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. This passive income is is an interesting concept that I haven't yet been a part of. I don't know about you, Brandy, but that hasn't made it my way. No, and I think maybe for if they have a, a management company that sends them a wire every month and they don't bother to look at any of the financials and they just accept money into their bank account. But I think if you're, yeah, the passive income... I think long-term renting is probably the closest you could get to passive income where you might have to fix a dishwasher or something once in a while. But yeah, short-term rentals are anything but passive. And I can absolutely, I think that we're going to start to see a real uptick in people that are like, they're going to, you know, you know have a pro bigger professional company manage my property or just sell the home altogether and chill out, put that money somewhere else. I think there is burnout heading in a lot of directions right now. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess maybe that's what I was alluding to there a little bit, right? Is this idea, of course they would, like in my head, I'm like, of course they would sell the house if they're tired with dealing with it. It's better to sell it while it's profitable and doing well than getting to that stage that you're mentioning, Brandy, of burnout. And then maybe you do start to have bad reviews and then you get delisted from Airbnb and then it's then things can spiral out of control so quickly, right? Even we're ignoring like the market demand and the fact that there may be yeah. 55 more rentals in that area than there was two years ago. There's a lot of other things to pick apart there. I'm just talking about the day-to-day -day of like dealing with it. These long-term rental folks that you're talking about, they might have a single tenant for five years. That's not an insane, but certainly for a year or two is very common. So they deal with one person, one point of contact for 24 straight months during 24 months of a vacation rental. I mean, you tell me, Scott, how many people might you deal with in a pretty busy, popular vacation rental in 24 months? Hundreds, if not. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah. And not to mention all the other people that you need to help make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the housekeepers that are going in there, maintenance <laughs> professionals and so on and so forth. The layers can get really deep there. Let's maybe go back a little bit further than Brandy. We went to today and I'm just going to keep maybe going backwards and play around a little bit. You put an outline here, Adam was another Boston rep. He went to Northeastern, which is also another previous guest of ours. Maddie went there. Did you guys overlap or mm -hmm. is that not the case? Or No. And what's wild. So I saw she went to Northeastern and I saw her last name and I went to my like really small business program. I did an international program and I had a, a friend that had her same last name and she also had sisters that went to Northeastern. And I was like, is this her sister? No, just like very, they almost look alike too. And I, but that was just a misconnection. But I love seeing a feather, fellow Northeastern alumni. We don't see too many in the this space. So it's like, it's fun. But yeah, I graduated much like that year keeps getting further and further away, which is upsetting sometimes. <laughs> I think I'll Do you be don't want to say the year? I graduated in 2015. It was a five-year program. And then I did a one-year master's after that. So it was great. I did half of it in Spain. So that was also pretty awesome. And I look back, I'm like, when people say that your college years are like some of the best, I was like, that was, those were some of the best, I have to say. <laughs> Awesome. What are the relatable pieces in your mind? This is something that I've personally been critical from before. I have this marketing degree and then I got into a marketing job and I'm like, this is useless. Like none of what I learned, I feel like translated. Sure. How do you feel about that? Yeah. So one of the, so the half of the first three years were at Northeastern, the last two were at Ikade in Madrid. And I say pretty much all of those classes do, were not applicable because I was taking a lot of it's Spanish accounting, Spanish, Spanish tax law, like all stuff that like irrelevant to doing business in the United States. But it really taught me like those two years were so incredibly hard because I was doing those classes in Spanish. I had to write a thesis in Spanish and I actually wrote that thesis on Airbnb and the like, changes in consumer behavior. So that weirdly became applicable. I didn't think of all the things that would be it, but it really, I think rather than, oh, I learned this one theory in this class and now it applies to my life. It was more like the skills of how to really put your head down and work. Like when things are really difficult, like that, especially those last two years really kicked my butt and, and taught me how to work really hard. Speaking Spanish has been really helpful in Miami in particular, although it has, my Spanish has deteriorated pretty significantly, but I can still speak just I sound pretty terrible. And also like you Spain know. Spanish isn't the same as like Cuban Spanish either, right? Like no, lots and of different friends of mine that are native Spanish speakers have said that like when they first met me when I moved to Miami, I had a little tint of a Spanish accent and now you sound super white. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that tracks properly. <laughs> that <laughs> tracks. Yeah. But there's, I think with the business degrees is like throughout 
the six years I was in business school, there's like different projects that you're doing that's getting you to think a certain way about how you could potentially run a business and like critical thinking and things like that. So I don't, the business plans that we all put together. And I remember in a marketing class, we had all these simulators and my team won the, the quarter, but like absolutely nothing that you did in that simulator is like how you work in real life. And I remember thinking you were going to have to present like when I first started off really trying to do detailed presentations or wanting to research a lot of stuff. And that's not how the real world works. I remember presenting to a landlord economic facts and blah, 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 when we were trying to get one of our first buildings and they don't care at all. It was a really humbling experience when you're like, oh, with me and my degrees, we're going to educate you on why you should pick us or whatever. And I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing as the experience like the dirt under your fingernails, right? In in the actual real world experience. Maybe let's fast forward that a little bit to Romy. You touched on Romy earlier, but it wasn't originally called Romy, right? Maybe you could talk a little bit about even like the rebrand, yes. where it started, where it is today. And yeah, maybe talk a little bit about that. The model has evolved. What is the model today? Is it the same as when you started in that whole process, if you could? Sure. So when we started, we were sextant stays and I pretty much a from the B, I was like, are we stuck with this name? But we were, and a sextant is a navigational tool. And for in the beginning, we weren't very brand, like custom, the brand wasn't very really important. The brand was really more for like institutional investors, more like the landlord side of things. And if you like, there's all sorts of like sextant financial companies. So like that kind of appealed to maybe like the original demographic that we were looking at. And we were going after mostly single family homes for the first couple of years. And then slowly we started to get into like really boutique 10, 15 unit multifamily buildings in South Florida. And up until the beginning of 2020, we had about 60-ish units that were a combination of those like smaller boutique buildings and single family homes. And then with the pandemic, Weirdly enough, we had just received a tranche of like seed funding. And so we were able to take over the contracts for a bunch of Stay Alfred, Domeo and Lyric buildings and a Sonder building. And so we were that's how we were able to like pretty much leapfrog our way into like full building multifamily and into different markets. So we went from 60 units in January 2020 to 360 by the end of the year and then in 2021 up to 500. And so that that was a lot. There's a lot of businesses like timing and luck. And that totally was where that all fell into. And so, um, you know, as we once the dust settled, that was a real baptism by fire. <laughs> it is very different managing that onboarding five multifamily buildings in different cities at one time was unreal. We had all this furniture delivered and they were supposed to deliver one semi truck and three of them showed up at once and we didn't have a load. And it was just like all sorts of stuff that was going wrong or not necessarily going wrong, but like you really had to, to learn. And then it was a gamble. Like we were still like in the middle of the pandemic and we were like, really hope New Orleans rebounds. And luckily it all has. So then once that dust settled, it became pretty clear that we went from having a only really like landlord facing brand to realizing like how important the brand really is. And Sexton, for a lot of really obvious reasons, is a difficult brand name. <laughs> and so we w went on through the process of rebranding to Romy. And that took a while because we did all of the work for it, but we also had to go through a PMS migration. So like that all had to be finished before we could build the new website and then launch the brand. So it actually took like over a year to like from like or took, yeah, from deciding that we wanted to rebrand, engaging with the branding agency to actually launching the brand. So it took a minute. Yeah. I would say, I think a PMS, a website change is a root canal and then a PMS change is a root canal. So you basically had two root canals at the same time, basically. Yes, <laughs> it was. And I've done four PMS changes in my career here. And oh, so you so, like pain then? You're just a I, Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and like the, when we switched from Escapia to Streamline, we had 60 units and that were 50 maybe at the time. And like that was, that took forever. And I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. And then when we switched from Streamline to Guesty, we had 500 units and there were just, it was a level of complexity that I was like, oh, wow, this has gotten much. So yeah, it was like, it felt like just constant root canals for a year, <laughs> but I'm really happy with how everything has panned out. And I really, the power of having good brand, I think that this is a common topic. There isn't a real household name in our industry. Someone might have known that they stayed at a Vacasa maybe, but there isn't really one. And there isn't like a Marriott of the industry, but there still is the importance of 
your personal brand with your guests. And we even noticed that like right after the switch, we started seeing an uptick in people saying writing the name in the reviews. Like I had a great time with the Romy team before, like people didn't really want to write out sextant. They might not know how to spell it, especially if we had a lot of Latin American guests, which we do in Miami. Like it just was a difficult name. And then right afterwards, we could see improvement in guest engagement with the brand. Mm, yeah, I, I have a, some LinkedIn stuff that I always schedule out in advance. And one post that's coming up soon is, I, and I need to redo this study, but there was a study a little while ago, and I've referenced some other studies in the post that a lot of people just forget 30 days later, everything about the business that they did business with 30 days ago. So 30 days after your stay, even in a hotel, you forget the exact name of it, you forget the location, this and that. So you have to make like a concerted effort on the marketing side. And like with a rebrand, like you made a concerted effort on just like the pronounceability, the, what it's called the radio test, right? Could someone hear that name and then go and find that brand easier? And what you did, I think, was smarter. Not only do you chop down a word, but it just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. And then the new branding is fun. Like, obviously, we had a chance to work together in yeah. some of the little pieces when you were launching on the SEO side. And I was just looking at it the whole time, and I was like a smile on my face. This just looks cooler. Like, it had a, a different vibe to it. But we talked about marketing. We talked about tech. So I'm contractually obligated to tap in Adam here. Yeah, Adam, what's your kind of perspective of going through these rebrand processes, the root canal that is multiple PMS changes, and where do you see how Brandy's landed today with their current stack and how things are working there? Hats off to you, Brandon, because obviously those two root canals are painful, but then throw a rebrand on top of it. And it's absolutely insane to try to bring all of those together at one time. So congrats. And to have the marketing guy say how how good it is. Uh, kudos to you guys for pulling that off. That's fantastic. I, I appreciate uh, a couple of things that you talked about there. Uh, one, going back to the school side of things, I, I think that your point about hard work and learning how to do hard things, I think is exceptionally important. And then I also think that the side of talking about how school, that and specifically business school, I did it in law school for a year, but I think it's the same sort of concept is it's about them teaching you how to think through things differently and, and you come out differently on the other side. So I think the hard work is important, but also when you are forced to think differently, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. The other thing that I pull out of that discussion was the timing. You know, to think that you guys got that seed funding at the time where Stay Alfred was just shutting their doors overnight because that was the exact opposite, right? Stay Alfred had gotten their money early on and they were trying to ride things for the longer haul. As soon as they had that opportunity, they had to shut their doors. Now you guys were able to pick that back up, which is awesome. And I, I think we'll get to this, Conrad, and, and I'll touch on tech in a second because I do think there's value in, in touching on there. But the other one who we've got to mention when we talk about a story like that is Front Desk, because Front Desk did the same thing. They picked up a whole bunch of Stay Alfred and some of these other companies as they went down. So I'm, I'm very curious about where that difference is, and maybe tech's part of it. And it could be, because I talked with Jesse and the guys at Front Desk, and they were really trying to build a lot of their stuff in-house. Whereas, mm -hmm. to your point, Brandy, you've jumped around and you tried a couple of different PMSs. You and I talked when you were looking at Breezeway, and we worked together when you were implementing Breezeway. So how do you guys think about your tech stack at Romy? Is this something where you see the value of trying to stay with tech that's coming off the shelf versus building it? Is there a combination of buy and build? How are you guys thinking about it? I think for the mid future, we are absolutely not going to build anything. I there That is such an expensive endeavor. And I understand that like for fundraising, especially if you're going like the VC route, like the having some sort of proprietary tech is essential for that process. But we would have to dedicate such a huge amount of resources to building out that team. And I haven't really heard of every, anyone doing it totally successfully. And so I think that right now, no, no software does exactly what you want it to do. Like regardless of who you switch to, you're probably having a trade-off of something that you liked with the old system, but then you're not going to get with the new system. But that pain is worth not spending probably millions of dollars on building your own tech. I remember I, in, when we first started, I had a conversation with a guy from Vacasa and he was like, my one piece of advice is don't build your own tech. Cause he had just, I think they had just built their own accounting program. And we have, I think over 10 stay offered employees that work for us now. And they were like, we, they spent a million dollars building the software. It really didn't work that well. And so it's, if these larger operators who had way more funding than we do and dedicated teams really struggled with that, like why would we go down that road now? Now in the future, if everything aligns, for sure, that's something that we do. But I think that's not where our uh, core competencies lie. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a yeah, that makes a lot of, of sense. 
And I, I think if you pull back the curtain a little bit, and, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. But if you think about the companies that we're talking about, front desk, stay Alfred, that was where they put their focus is how are we going to build this tech internally versus buying it? And as you look back on that could be one of the very uh, stark differences between what you guys are doing and, and where they both ended up. Yeah. And I think that it makes a lot of sense because their investors are saying, this is, these are the kind like you're getting, it's not just the, the leadership team at those companies deciding that it's a lot of the investor input and what did they need to do to secure another round of funding or a bridge loan or whatever it is. And it's, it is usually that tech component. That's also why a lot of people executed really poor deals in terms of like their real estate that they were signing, because there was a pressure to add pins in the map. And those are not always decisions that you get to control. So I definitely have like a lot of sympathy for those decisions because it's there's for a while the name of the game was like grow at all costs and then immediately it like switched to profitability and you can't like move that cruise ship that fast. Um, and there's also just like the I don't think anyone on our team is like exceptionally like techie and wants to build all of that and for any kind of those like really high end specialty skilled, maybe like data engineering needs or things like that. We have like specific contractors that we work with that can build us this one thing that we need, but it's not a whole system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to tease out one thing and then I'll, and then I'll throw it back to you. Brandy mentioned something really important there. Uh, something that happened over the last few years with the private equity and the VC money that came in. The money that was coming in, as Brandy mentioned, was to figure out how can we grow this and then flip it into something else, similar to the way that house flippers did for a number of years around 2008. So that money that came in was driving a lot of the decisions of those companies, to Brandy's point. And it wasn't because we are going to become the best vacation rental software product, whatever it is. It was how can we demonstrate that we made this growth so that we can flip this to the next guy? And it's going to be his job of making this the best company that can be. So we're in this stage where we've got a lot of this money that came in, they pushed this growth. And now the in entire industry, because it's not only the vendor side, a lot of it happened on the operator side as well. Now you've got this entire industry that has a lot of this invested capital, but they're trying to figure out either one, how do we flip it? Or two, how do we turn this into the, the right company that it should be? Neither one of those is easy. So it's a really critical time in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. One, one thing I was going to go Scott's direction asking this question, a lot of these uh, different companies here also shut down. I don't know, Brandy, if you saw that, yeah. I, I dug into that one. I was most curious about that one because I thought their idea was sound. Like I liked the idea of what they were doing. And then once you actually broke it down in a spreadsheet, my goodness, the fees and things they were layering on and the actual end thing that they were buying, was it was just so disparate. It was mind boggling. But one thing they did, Scott, is they didn't have any density. I don't know if you, you poked around that or, or researched it, but they bought 18 different homes in basically 16 different markets. They had some that were nearby. But Scott, the pain and difficulty it is to set up operations in all these different markets because of TAN and the progress there. So I guess I was just curious of like your perspective of these kind of old master lease companies, some of which have gone out of business and unfortunately seem to still be going out of business of doing operations in 10 different locations, 20 different locations. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit because you've done that with TAN and how you've set it up. Yeah, it's interesting. And for what, two, three years, the pressure was be a tech company, right? So everyone was trying to find some way to call themselves a tech company, right? Because when the cash came, you were going to get the tech multiple. And, and I think the other one was growth, right? And, and it wasn't necessarily growth as in units. Some people were looking at growth in units, but there was a lot of people looking at how many new markets are you in? And from our standpoint, it all depends right on, on what you're trying to do. With Romy and Brandy, I'm sure the number's bigger than ours. But for us, TAN won't go into a new market, especially if we're going to handle it ourselves. I've got to have at least four units to start, right? I'm not starting with one. I'm not starting because I need to at least attract attention for the people that I'm going to need help from, right? A cleaner or a maintenance person. You come to the table and say, oh, hey, I've got a unit for you. They'll take it, but you're also that far down on their list when a problem comes up. So I think that's the other part of this problem is there's a dot on the map is cool, right? And it looks great until you have to try to run it. And, it, and I think it's harder to run a dot when it's a small dot, right? You give me a place with two, four units, it's trouble, right? And it's far more trouble than it's worth. I can run a place with 40 units far easier than a place with two units or four units. I, and I think that's what stretches it, right? I, I think these teams get stretched so far and trying to put a lot of firefighting into these small dots that they're going to grow one day, it gets really hard. From our standpoint, we have a base and we actually are working on a new location now 
we have a couple of investors buying units and, oh, I'm going to buy a unit here. And I said, call us back when you have four, because we're not <laughs> talking to you until then. <laughs> buy the neighborhood and then call me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think Thank that point God. is like super, super relevant because when we were doing our fundraising several years ago, one of the marks against us was that we weren't in a lot of markets. And we were like, we have density. Like our play is a mile deep, not a mile wide. And we were also like, we have this like very clear plan paths, like profitability. This is like all the... We had all of that. And at the time that just was not interesting to investors. And I found that to be infuriating because I was like, don't you want a business that makes money? And now they do. <laughs> but at the time that wasn't cool. And, and so that's for us, we are in two like very concentrated markets. And then for us to go until it's say Austin or Savannah or wherever, we have to have a solid unit count, like ideally at least a hundred. We mm. might take, of course, there's always like asterisks to that, but we want to have, it has to be worth having the city personnel there that you need to run it. We are like very conservative when it comes to taking those kinds of deals. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're thinking though, Brandy, whatever you're comfortable sharing of going into new markets? Or do you think like to your point, South yeah. Florida is this booming area. Could we go deeper, much deeper into that market first before we did yeah. that? So definitely deeper in both of our markets. We're like a fairly concentrated effort there and dipping into we're not being so strict about the product type anymore. New Orleans is great for full building multifamily. We would never go into the residential stuff in New Orleans is very tricky right now with the STR regulations, but we're just looking at all the deals possible in those markets and what's attractive. And if there's super nice condo units, like condo hotel units, that's a really smooth process. So we're being a little bit more open-minded about what products we're looking at. And then for another city, like I said, totally open to it as long as we can have the right density and it's the right market. We really like, I call them like the woo markets, but like it's leisure markets with high ADR where your bachelor and bachelorette parties are going. Like where are people going to spend money on vacation that, and ideally I would love to pick a market that has opposite high seasons because right now we're in both, like both of our markets high season and summer is pretty brutal in both of our markets. So would love to offset that and to offset our natural disasters because we're like hurricane zone. One time we had our, we have a huge Filipino team. There was a typhoon hitting them and hurricanes hitting both of our markets here. And we were like, we need like a fire or an earthquake. We need something to offset all these hurricanes. Some variety. You touched on it really quickly there. I, I'm curious about your perspective on that guest demographic because you mentioned like bachelor, bachelorette parties. There's some clients I have that avoid that. I have a client in the San Diego market, for example, and it's we really don't want that kind of crowd here, right? They're like, we want the families that are going to treat the property right and stuff like that. But you're like whole, I feel like your whole markets that you focused on and almost like the website and stuff, it skews younger. You're younger. Tell me about your guest demographics. What's that like? Who's the type of person that you think is the ideal Romy guest for you? In both sure. Markets? So right now our guest is 25 to 40. That's like Millennial and elder Gen Z is probably our, we're in popular markets for a fun time. So you're going to get the, those kind of people. And the our, when we had a lot of single family homes, worrying about parties was part of the problem because it was like the noise violations. And even though they were legal, there was all these like little skirmishes with the town and blah, 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 blah. But now that we're in full buildings, you can really only do so much damage, like in terms of partying, like you... And if you try to cram 30 people in a two bedroom, we're probably going to notice like, and honestly, if you break stuff, we'll charge you. Like it's a much easier process to handle those guests and they come down usually to spend a lot of money. And that's great. And we also do get quite a bit of families. There's a lot of medical tourism in both markets, actually. So there is a real mix of people. But especially in South Florida, people are coming to escape the cold. They're coming for some somewhat longer periods of time. Sometimes where like average length of stay is usually around four days. So nice long weekend. And as long as they don't do too much damage, I don't really care what their intent is. <laughs> I love that perspective. Just be gentle. Yeah. Be like one of my big things is like being respectful to the staff. Like when I like occasionally will see the way that people communicate with our guest experience team, it just enrages me. I like, <laughs> I, and that it's like the, that really drives me crazy. But for the most part, people are coming down. We try to view it as, a lot of people only have 10 days of vacation a year. They've entrusted us with a couple of those days. And so we want them to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes so, sense. 
Yeah, go ahead, Scott. So sorry. So on the demographic front, and we all love a good Randy rant. So let's <laughs> let's get into the fact that it, it feels like with your demographic, that's where you're stuck in with Airbnb, right? Is you have to play in that sandbox to, to keep your hold of your demographic. Is that the deal for you guys? The Airbnb sandbox? Yes. Yeah, yes. so we're in there, but our channel mix is like, it's not Airbnb dependent anymore. And this is like one of my like things I'm the most proud of in the last year is so because of the PMS switch, and then we had the website that was like jerry-rigged for a little bit until the new website, our direct bookings plummeted down to five or 6%. And it was, it was just an awful booking experience while we were in that transition period. And then we've gotten that back up. Now we have um, around 25 to 30% of our bookings are direct. Um, and some of that is through the phone and everything, but still like that channel mix. So Airbnb, our direct and booking.com are always fighting for like the top three places, but Airbnb isn't as dominant as it used to be. And so you, we still have to play in that sandbox. And honestly, that's fine. As a traveler, I just booked a trip to Mexico City. I only looked at Airbnb. Like I understand from a traveler's perspective, it's like the greatest interface. I From the host side, I could go on for a long time about that. <laughs> but so we play in that sandbox, but we also are making concerted efforts to not be dependent on that because as soon as they make a change, you are totally impacted by that. And I think as experts in our industry, we all see like the changes that they're making are not favoring the professional host. So you just have to be prepared for your, like for Airbnb to potentially become a smaller part of your channel mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. We touched on a few things there about like, the people in the properties. I guess I'm curious your approach to hospitality. You mentioned you had this like kind of guest care team. And what what is like the Romy approach to we're using tech we're or we're using people, we're doing special things for the guests. Oh, on here, we always like talk about hospitality and kind of that experience that people have. What What's your perspective on what that should look like when someone stays in one of your properties? Sure. I think there's, this is something that I really kind of battle with internally sometimes because, so I had read last year, the unreasonable hospitality and look at all these amazing things that they were able to do at 11 Madison park. And that's a level of hospitality that frankly is not achievable in our business. Like with the volume of guests that we had, like 25,000 reservations in a year or more, like it's just not possible to do that with the team that we have. But what we try to do is provide for the any sort of messaging or phone experience. Our team is super lovely, very polite. If we know that there are, is like a special um, event or something like that, and we have the bandwidth to, we might get like a bottle of champagne or something like that. And there are certain our model is not very person heavy on the properties, especially in Florida, because we have a lot of buildings here. But one thing we were able to do in New Orleans is we um, trained our maintenance technicians to also be front desk agents. And they're each given, they have dominion over one or two buildings. And so we have someone who is obviously able to do all the maintenance work, but they're also super friendly. They're able to help the guests. They're able to man the front desk when they might not have a lot of maintenance tasks. And it has like really improved the guest experience there. And so that's been awesome. And I think the team really likes it because they get mentioned in reviews all the time. And we have um, a self-service wine bar and liquor bar in one of our buildings in New Orleans. And our front desk maintenance tech, Lance, has been like, we gave him it as his project to get that up and running so he can, if something goes wrong, he can give a gift card to the machine to someone or, or people can come and buy them. We'll throw like little happy hours sometimes. And so we have a, you know, a dream of replicating things like that across the portfolio. But it's great to see that at least in one building, I think, um, providing a good experience, like a, a clean room, an easy check-in process, making sure that experience is seamless is something that we really strive for. And then as I think we haven't really touched upon it yet, but like the last year and the coming year are difficult for a lot of people in the industry. So we want to make sure that we're using our people's time as efficiently as possible within what our business model is capable of. Mm -hmm. Scott, I don't think we've heard of that idea of cross-training, although we've talked about that idea before. I guess I'm curious your reaction to that, like the combo. We got a front maintenance technician and a front desk personnel in one wrapped into one individual. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and that was my big smile as she was talking, because ultimately that's what we've essentially morphed ourselves into, right? When we go direct to unit, which is us in, in nearly 100%, but essentially those frontline people have become check-in agents, right? Because they're the ones most likely to interact with the guests. But the funny part is, as Brandy said it, like 
there's something they're really helping them to embrace that to say hey you are the face now right when, when you interact with them know that you're the one that they're gonna see right you're, they're not seeing anyone else so i i really think it puts a different perspective on what we've said brandy what we've said for a while is the cleaners and the maintenance folks are the ones now interacting with guests far more than anyone. And, and that's just been, hey, while you're there, right, engage. But but if you really spun that a little bit, like you guys have done, again, we're not going to check them in, but ultimately take that persona and say, hey, you're, you know, greet them, welcome them, right? And, and give that front desk experience when you interact with them. I, I think there's something real to that. Because listen, we're never going back to check in, right? I've, I've heard some people bouncing that around. We're never going back to it. We're going to stay remote. But I do the touch, right? And I do, like you're saying, Brandy, I love when everyone gets excited because they were named in a survey. I think it makes it special for them and it cultivates them wanting to go out and see how many more times they can get mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. I think that's, there's, I always, the example I always look to is like Robin Craig and at Moving Mountains and how ultra luxe all of that is and all of these special like high touch things that they do. And I like, I'm envious that is the business that they're in sometimes, but I'm like, okay, what is achievable within our business model right now? Like our main focus is profitability right now and making sure that we have a well-run business. So there's a whole list, especially with a new brand of like really fun things that we want to do for guests. But we're like, okay, that is a shiny distraction right now. Let's make sure that we have a really solid preventative maintenance schedule. So we've been revamping that in all of our markets and making sure that the housekeepers are fully trained and that all of those, like the core offering... Let's make sure we have that really buttoned up and that our team feels like they're not overwhelmed or running in circles. And then when we have a little bit of breathing room, we can start adding in some more of these touches that make a, like, add a little bit of a special feel. But one thing that's really fun is Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans in uh, October of next year. And I've never, I've been very ambivalent towards like Taylor Swift and indifferent, but now Careful, get I canceled am. for that. Careful. No, I am the biggest Swifty now. Oh, that are we usually don't open up our calendar like way more than a year in advance. But when we saw that she came, we opened it up, and the ADRs are like it is so incredible. And I'm like Taylor, and she's not having the same impact in Miami, and I think it's because of the location of the stadium. But it's I'm like oh, in New Orleans, it's fantastic. And so because we have so much lead time, we're gonna do some really special things for all of those guests that come that weekend. We have a year to prepare. So we're like, okay, we can do some fun little things for them. And so it's not, you do, I think that this industry can be like a bit of a beat down. And so I think you have to like give yourself some breathing room and some grace and make sure that your core product offering is solid. And then if you have the time and the resources, then to add the things on top. Mm -hmm. So I, ahead, I think we had our first guest talk about profitability as a priority, right? So it was 50 something episodes and someone they, and this is a conrad thing conrad always says yeah let's talk about margin too so i, I think there's a lot there and, and brandy we, we've been talking a lot about the 2024 headwinds and what do you guys see thank god for taylor swift in in your case but what, what do you see for us we pulled down what we did for both of our businesses is we pulled down revenue and basically said here's a conservative revenue expectation and then we matched expenses of that can we beat revenue Probably, and it's and likely we will, but that was the approach that we took. And again, protecting or very much protecting margin. What, what do you, what, what approach are you guys taking and where do you think we, we head into as we go in further into this year? Yeah, I think so for our markets, South Florida, I think has been a special situation. There is a really crazy oversupply, a very mismatched with supply and demand. There's been a 2% increase in demand and a like 17 to 20% increase in supply. And Jamie Airdina can correct me if I'm off, but I'm pretty sure that's well. about right. <laughs> and I'll get a WhatsApp text soon. Yeah, but, yeah. but so that is dramatic. And that's a very real impact on your occupancy and your rates. And so we think last year, what it in like December of 2022, we started to see a little bit of softening, something that wasn't like feeling right, but we weren't really 
as we weren't as concerned at the time. So when we went through our high season, it was like a little bit too late to catch some of those mistakes. And then we were able to redo our revenue strategy. We hired uh, Doug Truett, who is just fantastic and amazing revenue manager and course corrected for the rest of 2023. So I think for 2024 in our high season, we might see better performance because now we have a different strategy compared to this time last year. But overall, probably flat revenue and to be conservative, I would love for that to not be the case. But I think that's just the reality. There is definitely, there's the struggle, uh, especially in these markets to to get that revenue up. Brandy, want to be respectful of your time. I know we got a handful of minutes left and I think I had sure. two more kind of smaller things to pick apart here. We appreciate you hopping on our podcast. What was the origin of you ending up on the Good Morning Hospitality kind of show podcast? <laughs> How did that get started? Yeah. I was a guest once and then Will and Michael texted me and they're like, do you want to be like a permanent host? And I was like, huh? And they were like, no, we're serious. And I was, I originally was supposed to be once a month as like a guest host. And then it was just every Monday. It was funny. I like just never thought about doing it really. I enjoy doing podcasts, but I'd done like a handful of interviews at that point. But yeah, it's been really fun. I've learned, it like really keeps me engaged with the industry and I've been learning a lot. I've met so many interesting people through it. So so I'm glad that they were serious and not joking when they asked me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's awesome. And then we have a, we have a question for you as well, given that you talk to other folks in the industry and things like that. We're asking all of our guests this year if they have anyone they would like to nominate or they think we should give our time to to potentially be on our show. So anyone you have in mind that might be a good guest yeah. for us. Definitely. I think my co-host from the women's panel, Brindy Barton, she, it's funny, we've been, this is the second panel we were on, Brindy and Brandy. That was like very confusing for a It'll lot of people. It'll be a band, actually. I'm uh, picturing a, like a band up there. Exactly. But she and her husband have a really interesting business. Their homes in Orlando are like super tricked out with like very themed, like very extravagant. They were in Forbes and things like that. And they have just really a really interesting business. So I think she would be a great person to have on the podcast. If we get an intro, I think we can, we can definitely make that happen if she wants. To. I would be happy to. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Adam, anything else we should do before we let Randy go? I know we got a few minutes left to put a ball in this one. Yeah, we got a couple minutes left. So I want to peel back the onion a little bit. This is, again, one of those opportunities to have an operator on here that, that touches on some real discussion. And I think that uh, Scott brought it up by saying profitability. And, and to Brandy's point, you've got to figure out what your business model in, is and, and where that profitability is going to be, especially coming into 24. But the other thing I want to mention is that there's a lot of talk about unreasonable hospitality, and, and we do a lot of it on this podcast. It's starting to spread throughout the industry, and everybody's picking it up and talking about it. The reality is that very few are going to execute at the level that is in that book. So to Brandy's point, You've got to look at your business model and figure out where you can tighten things up so that you can have a phenomenal service, just the basic service. The, the basic level of expectations has to be met. That's that first level of hospitality. Then you can start thinking about some of those other special things that you can do for people and starting to build out those processes. But I think that for us as an industry to continue to push that message, and, and we had Robin on uh, as our first guest this year. And, and if we all hold that to the example, I think uh, it's going to be hard for us to reach, right? He's got a different clientele. He's got a different business model. He's got a different level of homes. That's not the majority of this industry. So I'm a huge fan of unreasonable hospitality. I'm a huge fan of us trying to implement it and all of us thinking in that way. But I think Brandy's perspective about how they're thinking about it, and it is particular to their model, but I, I do think that there's an important point there that we should set high goals as to what we want to do around hospitality. But at the end of the day, we've got to figure out how we're going to be profitable. And that is probably more important this year than it has been in the last 15 years. So yes, do special things when you have that opportunity, but let's start by meeting those basic expectations. The one question I'll got, and this gets us back to that operator side of things, Brandon, you mentioned that the techs out in the field as that face. And, and Scott and I have been thinking about this and trying to implement this. Have you changed any training around that? Do you give them any different training now that they're more interaction with the guests? Yeah, definitely. We went through and made sure they like really before they were probably just in breezeway. Uh, we made sure that they really understood like how to make a reservation, how they could edit things and guesty, all of that stuff. So they got like the more like technical training. And then yeah, some guest service experience. Guest sorry, guest experience training. And they were already like pretty personable people. And when we were in like presenting the job to them, they they have the personalities for it. I think it's difficult to hire for because you have to have a very specific company of skills. So you have to, is it more important to have a front desk person who can do maintenance or a maintenance person who can talk to people, but maybe not 
super, super polished. You have to decide that, but we, so I think our team is like kind of a special case because some of them already had some of that experience, but we definitely gave them whatever training they needed. Um, uh, Lance at the bar got the full bar training. Um, cause that's been like this pipe dream of ours to get it up and running. And so we were like, it's all you, it's your baby now, <laughs> but yeah, it's a tricky position. But I think if you're, if you have these maintenance techs or housekeepers that are out in the field, you could just give them like basics. Like here's the proper way if you see, if a guest mentions like, oh, the paint is scuffed on this wall. Like don't say, oh yeah, it's been like that forever. I've been telling them. We've had people do that where there's been like, and you know, you have all these back-to-backs, you can't get in to fix this one thing. And we've had people be like, oh yeah, I've been like pointing that out for weeks. We're like, that's not what you should be saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's like giving them that kind of like maybe common sense training of like how you should interact with the guest. But yeah, it's uh, providing that level of training. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I think that we're probably in that transition period in this industry because there's a lot of of techs or even cleaners who uh, were not necessarily hired with that skill. We've got to go through, they're not going to leave, right? This is a transition period where, yes, we might think about hiring people differently going forward, but we've also got to give the existing people in our staff a little bit of training to get down that road, knowing that over time, we're going to start bleeding in more people that maybe have more of that mindset. But this is not something that happens overnight. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the way you guys are thinking about that. Yeah. And I think one of the things, how this position came to be was that these, these employees came and we want more money. Obviously people want that. We want more in this job. And we're like, okay, what can, what do we need at the company right now that you could help do? And this, it was a kind of a back and forth conversation and it ended up in this hybrid role. So yeah, I think one of that just, this is a scrappy industry. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to pivot. And I think that's something that all of us have in common. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to, I was going to drive your opponent home, Adam, for those that weren't at the Darm conference, Will spent some of his talk talking about how he got to this top 50 restaurant award in the restaurant before he actually did Unreasonable Hospitality. So he actually was a top 50 restaurant in the world before he started delivering these experiences. So to your point of like, you have to master the product. I'm sure the food was amazing back then. Right. And then the experience took another step. So if we're one of the best 50 property managers in the world or one of the best 50 hosts in the world, if we get there without unreasonable hospitality, imagine how much further we can go and then become number one. And that's the gist of his keynote. Exactly. So when you said that, that that clicked in my mind is like, the food is good, make no mistake, right? They also layered these things on top of it. But if the food was no good, the experience wouldn't have meant much as well on the backside. Yeah, we're at time here, Brandy. I'm sure we could have kept going. I felt like we cut it off, but we're always going to cut it off when we talk to a great guest. So we thank you for your time and attention, Brandy from Romy. I think the listener can do something, Adam. They can roam their way over to their podcast app of choice, click five stars leave us a review we always appreciate that so more people could listen to the show brandy we'll put links in like the show notes people can click on your linkedin profile check out romy if they're gonna stay of course in new orleans or south florida so we appreciate you and your time and we'll catch everybody on the next episode thanks so much thanks